Well, thanks, Matt. And good morning, Fellowship Greenville. I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> what a privilege we have to recognize and honor Charlie this morning. In preparation for today, I received great input from my fellow, fellow elders. So Charlie, I'm gonna need about 25 minutes if that's okay. No, no, he's shaking his head no, okay. We'll try to do it in about six minutes, I figured it'd be your answer. First of all, I wanna share uh, how several of us saw Charlie's humility and servant leadership right from the start. Many of you may not know that Charlie served as a lead pastor in a wonderful church in the Little Rock area and wasn't looking for a new opportunity. After our search committee reached out to him, Charlie graciously submitted his name for prayerful consideration to be our next directional leader and teaching pastor. I personally won't forget the Q&A session he had with many of us. He made it very clear they wanted to continue the focus on making much about grace, building on what our previous beloved pastor, Walt Hanford, was teaching. And what is even more remarkable, I remember at one of our elder meetings a year or so later, Charlie asked what we thought about having Walt Hanford be one of our elders. I tell you, not many pastors would be humble enough to ask his predecessor to still be part of the ministry in a leadership role. Secondly, Charlie, as our directional leader, insists that all ministry decisions are to be in line with the will and word of God, really wanting every elder to seek to know the Holy Spirit's leading in key decisions that shape our life together here at church. And any decision that we face, we will only move forward if the elders are unanimous in our agreement about what we believe God wants. As one elder remarked, Quote, I appreciate Charlie's submission to the leading of the spirit through the elders, end quote. So how is this playing out? Glad you asked. Key decisions and developments these past 25 years have included launching Southside Christian School as an independent school, changing our church name, purchasing this building, adding on to a couple of times, most recently bringing Jason Malone on staff and soon launching the Upstate Church Collective. Thirdly, Charlie has a strong desire to gain consensus and unity in this body of believers. So when it came to time to bring these key decisions to the church for affirmation, Charlie never wanted to be in a hurry. Many leaders can become impatient and not give people adequate time to ask questions and pray. That is why over the years that all affirmations by the congregation were over 90%, with most well over 95%. Charlie and the teaching team have been preaching about unity as we have been going through the book of Ephesians, and I think we have seen this over the years under his leadership, and it is really so sweet. Fourthly, another key observation that we appreciate is Charlie's transparency and vulnerability. He doesn't pretend to be the perfect Christian, whether in his public teaching or with us in elders' meetings. He is transparent about his own challenges and sins, making much of God's grace and sanctification in his own life. One elder said it so well, quote, over the years, I've seen a man who is still driven to grow in sanctification. This challenges me to grow in my knowledge of the word and in my own sanctification. Thanks, Charlie, for leading by example, end quote. Fifthly, the Bible tells us to run with endurance 
And one of the qualities that elders really appreciate about Charlie is his consistency and endurance. Do you know what the average tenure of a leading pastor is? I looked it up and it's a little over six years. Charlie has been here at Fellowship Greenville for over four times that length, speaking volumes of his commitment to God and to this ministry. What is astounding from the leader's, elder's perspective is his consistency in all aspects of leadership and teaching, regardless of the situation. Which leads me to my last point. All of the elders com commented on Charlie's expository, faithful biblical teaching. No surprise, I am sure. He takes his studying of the scripture and message preparation very seriously, leaning on the spirit to guide him in communicating truth. Without question, God has used him mightily to speak in so many lives over the years and has helped us to be well grounded in our faith and walk with God. I am pretty confident you will relate to these following comments from two elders. Quote, there are many times I feel lifted up out of my seat with joy and brought to my knees in thanksgiving because of Charlie's clear explanation of God's word, while at the same time challenged to put his teaching into practice. A second elder said, quote, I appreciate the way Charlie doesn't hesitate to address current issues as they come up in scripture, rather than at the last, at, as the latest hot button by holding firm to what the scripture says and not being swayed. All of us have grown, not only by Charlie's example, but through his teaching, and for that we are very grateful. Charlie truly wants us as a local body of believers to be transformed by the grace of God to passionately pursue life and live on mission with Jesus. As elders, we also really appreciate how Karen has had an impact on this ministry. We know she serves as an awesome sounding board to Charlie in many ways. And as Charlie mentioned Friday evening at the celebration, he truly could not do what he does here without her. As a couple, you have been such a wonderful example to so many. And on a personal note, I served with Karen over 20 years ago on Southside Christian School School Board and saw firsthand what a godly, intelligent, and competent woman she is. Charlie, you are indeed blessed, and so are we. Charlie, as you make your way up here, I would like to share a verse from Proverbs that asks this question. But a faithful man, who can find? Well, I can answer that question on behalf of the elders this morning without any reservation. It's Charlie Boyd. Let's show him our appreciation for his 25 years of faithfulness. Seated. I asked Charlie a number of years ago, like, Charlie, how can I pray for you? And as he recently shared in one of his messages, he said, Craig, if you can pray Colossians 1, 9 through 11 over me, that would be awesome. So momentarily, I'm going to do that. But I'm also going to ask and challenge you, would you pray for Charlie over the next weeks and months and years to come these verses over him. That would be powerful, so powerful. 
We will never appreciate unless we walk in his shoes the weight of this ministry and all that is on his plate resulting for continued prayer, grace, guidance, and strength. So Charlie, thanks for being such a faithful servant for 25 years to this ministry. We give all, all the glory to God for how he has used you amidst us. So let's pray. Father God, how sweet it is to celebrate this choice servant of yours that you have blessed us here with, with here at Fellowship Greenville. We are told in your word to give honor to whom honor is due. We ask for your continued favor on Charlie and that he would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that he would walk in a manner worthy of you, Lord, fully pleasing to you and that he would bear fruit in every good work. We ask that Charlie would continue to increase in the knowledge of you. May you strengthen him with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, Holy Spirit, give him the words to say from your word this morning. And would you give us spiritual ears and hearts to receive what you have for us today. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. amen. Love you, brother. Thanks, Craig. Mm. Well, good morning, Fellowship Greenville. It's good to see you, good to be with you, and um, thank you so much for all your kind words and, uh, of, of encouragement and appreciation, and um, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. And uh, I, I truly know I could not have uh, been 25 years in the ministry or even 37 years in the ministry, if you count them all up, without uh, Karen um, by my side and my family's support. And then, you know, being here, I've got lots of memories. I got lots of good memories, and I got lots of memories where it's been difficult through the years. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I didn't have to do any of it alone. God brought us uh, really solid elders, and our elders don't rotate off every three or four years. They're, they're elders for life, as long as they're qualified to serve and want to serve. And so, I've had a chance to be with men like Craig and Chris Corley and others, like for a long, long time. And then God's brought just the best staff I've had, and I, I better not even just start down the, the naming everybody off, but I mean, literally all of our staff have been so good, and it really is an interdependent kind of leadership, a team kind of leadership. And uh, so what you experience around here on Sunday morning it's because of the team that God's assembled and brought together. And I'm, I'm very humbled that I've got to be a part of the leadership uh, here and to uh, see what God has done in this church. So thank you for being you. And uh, so anyway, uh, you know, one of my, we're talking about memories. Uh, one of my most vivid memories is from my teenage years and it's the memory of my first days in high school. I attended a small junior high where I knew almost everyone. And, then, and junior high was uh, grades seven through nine. And so I entered O'Galley High School, a school of over 600 people, as a sophomore. And, and you know how it is in a new school. I mean, new, you, you, you don't know, you don't, it's a new school, new people, new teachers, you don't know your way around. Nothing is familiar. You don't know the rules. 
You don't know where to go, where not to go, like, uh, like staying off the senior patio and staying out of the bathroom at certain times. And back then, you understand, I wasn't the physical giant that I am today. And so uh, walking the halls and passing guys, they're like over six foot tall, uh, weighing 250 pounds, having thick facial hair, and made me feel like I was about two feet tall. And I still look, at ba- look back at my sophomore high school yearbook, and I look at those 18-year-olds, and they still look older than me in my eyes. At the beginning of the year, you know, you, you just feel like an outsider, especially when you go to the first pep rally. I mean, I walked in the gym, and I took my seat in the bleachers with a friend, and there are banners hanging and, and flags waving, and cheerleaders are turning flips, and, uh, and the football team is down in front, and they're looking as mean and ugly as they possibly can. And the whole student body is chanting and screaming and standing and singing the school song. And I remember uh, one senior uh, standing close by who exhorted my friend and I with explicatives that I will not repeat, that we better scream for the team or he would pound us. And fortunately, I was wearing blue. That was one of the rules. You always wore school colors, blue, gold, or red, to the pep rally. And there were just, I mean, there there were just so many rules, so many rules. But, you know, after some time had passed, I began to take on my new identity as a Commodore. And for my birthday, my dad bought me this this blue baseball-style jacket had gold stripes on the sleeve, and I mean, nobody had one like it in the school, so I really knew I had my identity um, poured in concrete at that point. But I learned the school song, I got to know my way around, and after a while, the rules didn't seem like rules. They were just a part of my new identity as a Commodore, and they were a part of the culture of the school. And campus life made more and more sense as I saw myself as an insider rather than an outsider, as I took on my new identity. Now, I see in my past, in my high school past, an illustration of the way the Christian life works, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, as we've studied through uh, Ephesians... There's been a central theme that governs everything that the Apostle Paul has, uh, has been saying, and I haven't said it this way uh, until today, but I'm going to put it like this. The big theme is that God is up to something big in this world, and you and I are a big part of it. We have a big part in it. You see, from the very beginning, actually from before the beginning, God's desire has always been to have this world populated by diverse peoples who live together in unity under the authority of Christ, just like we talked about on the screen here. It's always been God's intention to populate this world with diverse peoples who live together in unity under the authority of Christ. And the church is the first step toward the goal of God's great eternal plan. Now, the question is, how is God accomplishing this plan through the church? Well, Ephesians 2, that we've looked at before, tells us that God is making spiritually dead people alive through faith in Christ, and he's placing them into his church, a new community of people who are pursuing life and mission with Jesus. One more time, you have to get this. God, this is what God's up to in the world. He's making spiritually dead people alive through faith in Christ, people from every 
tribe, tongue, nation, and race, and he's putting them together into his church, a new community of people, a diverse but unified people that he has called to passionately pursue life and mission with Jesus. And that means if you've trusted Christ as your savior, if you belong to him, then spiritually speaking, in the deepest part of who you are, you are a new person. God has worked in you to make you new, and he's given you a new identity in Christ. Now, that's what we're going to look at this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. So follow along as I read, and I'm going to kind of stop here and there along the way as we make our way through. Paul says, now, this I say and testify in the Lord. All right, stop. (laughs) It's going to take us all day. No, not all day, but he's saying, here's what he's saying. In keeping with the fact that you're part of this new community, a spiritually alive people that God is called into being, because that's true of you, he says, walk no longer like the Gentiles do. Stop. All right. He's saying, in keeping with what God has done, has done, and is doing in you, don't live like people who don't know God. Okay, so how do people who don't know God live? How do they live? They walk, he says, in the futility of their, what? Minds. In the futility of their minds. Now, that's significant. We'll come back to it in a moment. They, the people who don't know God, are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, living in ignorance and hardness of heart, and they've become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Okay, so what have we been taught about being in Christ. Here's what God has done for you. Verse 22, he says, to put off your old self, which belongs to the old you, your former way of life that was corrupt through deceitful desires. Now skip to verse 24. You put off your old self and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now back to verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, the interesting thing about rearranging the verses like this is that you see that verses 22 and 24 are in our past tense. Now, that may not be clear to you. It just depends on what translation that you are reading. But in the Greek, put off and put on are past tense. In other words, these two verbs describe what God has already done in making you new. The old self has been laid aside, and you have put on the new self created in the very likeness of God himself. Now, actually, the word self is not the best translation. In the Greek, the word is man. You have put off the old man and put on the new man. And in the Greek, the word man here does not refer to the male gender. It refers to mankind or humanity. So Paul is saying, when you trusted Christ for salvation, God made you new. He made you a part of his new people, his church, his new humanity. And at that moment, listen, you put off the old humanity and you put on the new humanity. It's, it's like this. The circle on the left is this present age. 
the old humanity that is characterized by sin and death and slavery, futility of mind, sensuality, violence, injustice, and as we saw in the text, these are marks of people who don't know God. Now, the, the circle on the right is the age to come. Our future in the presence of Christ when God's kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And when Jesus came the first time, he inaugurated his kingdom through his life and death and resurrection so that now, now the new humanity, of which we're a part, overlaps the old humanity. This is where we live today, in the church age. The kingdom has come, but not in all of its fullness. But for those of us who have trusted Christ, we are already right now a part of God's new humanity, which is characterized by love and freedom and justice and living with all of the spiritual blessings that God has given to us in Christ. So when you trusted Christ, yes, you became a new you, but you became a part of God's new humanity. And one day when Jesus returns, these two circles will completely overlap each other. Uh, Revelation 11 puts it this way, the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God and his Messiah will reign forever and we will reign forever with him. In other words, what's coming in the future, we will live in the united kingdom of heaven and earth. Now, believe it or not, all of that is behind this statement. You've put off the old, new, old humanity and put on the new humanity created in the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. And Paul is saying, like my mentor Haddon Robinson used to say, you cannot live like you used to live because you're not the person you used to be. You cannot live like you used to live because you are not the person you used to be. You have a brand new identity in Christ. Now, uh, in verses 25 to 32, and really for the rest of the book, Paul gives us what looks like to be a bunch of commands, a bunch of rules to follow. So follow along as I read, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, all right, think about that, having put away falsehood. Why is that put away? Because it's part of the old humanity. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. There's the unity theme. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only talk that is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Now that does sound like a bunch of rules, doesn't it? I mean, it's do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Now here's the thing. Everything Paul says in verses 25 through 32 does sound like a bunch of rules to follow if you think of yourself as an outsider. But if you have been made new, and if you have become a part 
of this new, diverse, unified community, this new humanity, if you see yourself the way God sees you, then everything Paul tells you here makes perfect sense. Hear me, Paul is not giving us rules to keep. He's telling us the logical response of someone who understands who they are in Christ and who they are in God's new humanity, the church. He's describing the way of life that reflects what it looks like to pursue life and mission with Jesus in this world, and he's saying, here's his point, it's radically different. It is a radically different lifestyle than people who don't know God. Now, are you, are you with me? Are you, are you seeing this? So here's the question, if we've been made new, then why don't we live like new people? That's the question, right? I mean, why, if we're new people who've been created in the likeness of God himself, in a righteousness and holiness that flows out of the truth that we have found in Jesus, then why don't we live like new people? Why do we struggle with knowing what we ought to do and actually doing it? Well, here's the problem. The problem is, even though you and I have trusted Christ as our savior, and even though when we hear the Bible taught, we acknowledge that it is right and true, the fact is very few Christians think like new people. Very few of us think like people in that kingdom circle, the new humanity circle. We understand what God wants us to do and not do, but we haven't yet developed God's new humanity, kingdom perspective on all of life, and so we act like outsiders rather than insiders. We take what the Bible teaches and we try to plug it into our daily lives and it doesn't seem to fit, it doesn't make sense. It's like, it's like the young adult who says, well, Charlie, I, I know the Bible says that I should remain morally pure until my wedding night, but nobody else is waiting, why should I? You see the tension, here's what the scripture says about living with a new humanity mindset, here's what the culture says, and the two don't mesh. Or it's the husband who says, well, I know God hates divorce, and I know that biblically speaking, I don't have any biblical grounds to leave my wife, but I'm not happy, and God just wants me happy. I really believe that. And besides that, God will forgive me. Or the businessman or woman who has resigned themselves to thinking that there's a biblical standard for honesty and ethical practices, and then there's a business, the business in the real world, and the two are different. And it doesn't it just doesn't make any sense to take these pie-in-the-sky standards and apply them to the dog-eat-dog -dog world of daily life. It just doesn't work. Now, but just think, when you say the real world, what you're saying is the old world, the old humanity. Now, so, or, or the Bible teaches us, teaches us to be honest with people, to not let anger consume us, to be generous, uh, to not slander people, to love unlovable people and to forgive as we've been forgiven and we say, yeah, that's right, but, and we fill in the blank with whatever excuse that we think justifies not doing what the Bible tells us to do. Now here's a principle, and I learned this years ago from Andy Stanley. He says, biblical imperatives apart from biblical thinking result in short-term obedience and long-term frustration. I think that is so good. Biblical imperatives, in other words, the commands of Scripture, the do's and don'ts of Scripture, the verses 25 to 32 of Scripture, 
These are all biblical imperatives, and he says biblical imperatives apart from biblical thinking always results in short-term obedience and long-term frustration. Short-term obedience. In other words, you do better for a few days, you make it for a week, maybe you make it for a month, doing pretty good, and then you drift back. Short-term obedience. And long-term frustration. You know how that sounds. It's like, I know I should be a better person. I know I should be a better father. I know I should be a, a better uh, a mother. I know I should obey and honor my parents. I know I shouldn't lie. I know I shouldn't look at that. I know I shouldn't go there. I know I should. I know I shouldn't. And, uh, I, I, but, and I also know I can't pull it off. And so you live this frustrated Christian life. And that's where too many of us are today. We hear a challenging message. We get fired up from a, an especially motivating community group uh, or a re-engage or a regen, and we say, I am going to be different. I'm gonna change. And we're different for a week or two, maybe. And then what happens? We fall right back into the same old struggles and sins. Why? Because even though we've made a commitment to change our way of living, to bring it more in line with Scripture, we haven't changed our way of thinking. We haven't done the mental work necessary for lasting change. And so it just doesn't make sense to do what God says. But when we learn to think along the lines of the truth that we found in Jesus, if we learn to think biblically, when we learn to see ourselves in life from God's perspective, then all the commands and the do's and don'ts of Scripture begin to make sense. Let me put it this way, as we, Andy Stanley actually said this too, as we learn to see as God sees, we will do as God says. As we learn to see as God sees, we will do as God says. It's like when your son or daughter comes to you and says, I don't wanna go to school anymore. Why, do, why can't I just stay home? Why after I go to school? And as a parent, we think that's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, if you don't go to school, you won't learn to read and write and do math and, and you won't be able to get a good job and people will take advantage of you and rip you off and your whole quality of life will suffer. I mean, you ought to be grateful for living in a place in a time where you have the opportunity, the privilege of going to school. And that makes perfect sense to the parent. Why? Because of our mental grid system. But it doesn't make sense to the child. Why not? Because children haven't lived long enough or thought hard enough Long, uh, long and hard enough uh, to understand the ramifications of not going to school. The child's grid system is, is faulty, so it doesn't make sense to go to school. I mean, the child is sitting there thinking, why would anyone want to get up at 6.45 in the morning, rush around to get dressed, eat breakfast, pack lunch, drive to school, and sit anchored to a wooden desk all day long where you have to be quiet and work? <laughs> does kind of make sense, but anyway... Um, what's the problem? It's two grid systems, two different grid systems. What makes sense to the parent doesn't make sense to the child. And that's why trying to live the Christian life without changing your mental grid system, without having your mind renewed, results in short-term obedience and long-term frustration. You can put it this way. No one lives differently than they think. No one lives differently than they think. We come in here, it all makes sense. We know what we should be doing and what we shouldn't do. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, honor and respect your husbands the way the church honors Christ. 
Children, obey your parents. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't cut people down. Be kind to one another. Forgive each other as Christ has forgiven you. Read your Bible, pray, live in community with God's people. Seek to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace with all of God's people. Talk to people outside the faith about Jesus. And we hear all these do's and don'ts and they make sense, but then we walk out of this building and we try to make make sense with our way of thinking out there. But it doesn't make sense, and when we make commitments to do better, they don't last. Why not? Because biblical imperatives, apart from biblical thinking, result in short-term obedience and long-term frustration, and no one lives different from they think. So what we need is to have our minds renewed with the truth that we have learned in Jesus, and that's what Paul is telling us in Ephesians chapter 4. God says, I've made you new, and I put you into my church, this new, diverse, unified community of my people. And we know that factually, but we still have old programming. And so functionally, the old program makes us feel and act like new students in a new school, like outsiders. Up here, we haven't really bought into the fact that we are God's new humanity, who he has called to passionately pursue life and mission with Jesus and to put Jesus on display in this dark, broken world. And that's why for some of us, there's this disconnect in worship, which is our Sunday morning pep rally. I mean, we come in here on Sunday mornings and a lot of people are singing and clapping, you know, and if we had banners and we used to have banners when that was one of those early days, that was a big battle to get rid of banners. But anyway, um, I'm glad we don't have the banners anymore, but if you were on the banner team, I'm really sorry for what I just said publicly. So, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of people clapping and hands raised, and then there's people in the bleachers, and you see you're, you kind of act and see yourself like an outsider. And, that, and, and that's why when we leave this service, many of us go back to thinking and acting like people who um, don't know God. Maybe not so much in when it comes to morality, but, but in the futility of our minds pursuing comfortable, convenient lifestyles. I mean, you see, our minds, our mental programming is, is still influenced by the same self-focused, self-indulgent, worldly futility of, of, of mind that characterizes people who don't know God, even though we've been made new spiritually. You see the problem? Okay, so what's the answer? Well, how do people who have put off the old humanity and put on the new, how do we live like the people that God's created us to be? Well, our minds have to be transformed so that how we think comes into line with what God has done in us spiritually so that mentally we become who we are spiritually. And that's what verse 23, being renewed in the spirit of your mind is all about. Now, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and I want to look at how Paul develops the same idea in a different passage, because this whole idea of having your mind renewed is a huge cornerstone principle in Paul's understanding of how we're to live out the Christian life and grow up in our faith. Now, Paul personally knows the tension that we live in Because he tells us in Romans 7 that he knows what it's like to struggle with knowing what we ought to do, but not do it. He says, this is Paul talking about himself, he says, the things I know I ought to do, I don't do. But the things I know I ought not do, I end up doing. 
Now, you ever felt that way? I mean, I have. See, Paul knows that becoming a Christian does not guarantee life change. Only renewal results in life change. Becoming a Christian does not necessarily result in our becoming a unified people who together are passionately trying to live on mission with Jesus in our world today. Only being uh, renewed in the spirit of your mind is the path to living in the reality of the new you and the new us. So look at Romans 12, verse 1. Uh, Paul's writing to a group of believers in Rome, which is not a great place to live if you're a Christian. And after 11 chapters of expounding how God, uh, all that God has done for us in saving us and making us new by his grace, he says, this is how you need to respond to what God has done. Same exact pattern we see here in Ephesians. First half of Ephesians, chapters one through three, here's what God's done for you in Christ. Second half of Ephesians, here's how you respond to what God's done for you. Chapters four through six. And in the book of Romans, Romans 12 is the beginning of the, here's how you respond to what God has done that he's talked about in chapters one through 11. So he says, chapter 12, verse one, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you, therefore by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, better word, which is your logical or rational service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you might discern or prove what is the will of God. You'll prove what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now here's what he's saying. He gives us two word pictures here. And the first word picture, he says, look, in light of the fact that God has been so merciful to you, so gracious to you, so good to you, in light of what God has done in making you new, the logical response, what really does make sense, is that you figuratively crawl up on the altar and present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. You say, God, I'm all yours. Here's my body, my soul, my mind, my heart. Here's everything I am. Here's everything I have. I'm making all of who I am and all of who you have made me to be, I'm making it all available to you. You see, you see that? He's saying, God, in light of what you've done for me, here I am, a living sacrifice. Do in me, do with me, do through me, whatever you want to do. That, he says, is the logical response to what God has done for us in Jesus. Now, what's the problem? Well, the problem is we're living sacrifices, and living sacrifices have a tendency to crawl off the altar. Right? I mean, we can hear all this stuff and leave here this morning, surrender to God, determined to live out the Christian life better than we did last week, and we, and we crawl up on that altar and give ourselves to God, but about three o'clock in the afternoon, something happens and we crawl right off. I mean, and all it might take is for your wife to call you and ask you to stop by the grocery store to pick up some milk, crawl right off that altar. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe your parents tell you you can't do something you really wanna do, jump right off the altar. You see, there's something in us that says, and it's the Holy Spirit in us, that says, I do wanna be a living sacrifice. 
I do want to give myself wholeheartedly to God. That's, I understand that's the logical response. It's the rational response, response in light of all that God has done for me. But it's so easy to fall back into old reactions and old patterns of thinking when, when what we want clashes with what God wants. So how do we learn to stay on the altar? He says, well, do not be conformed to this world. Now he's using a different word picture. Instead of a sacrifice on an altar, conformed has to do with being poured into a mold. You know, like someone wants to pour a concrete foundation for a patio or a garage and they take two by fours and six, two by sixes and they, and they create a form, a mold. And then they come and they pour the concrete into that and the concrete conforms, takes the shape of that mold. And Paul is saying, look, don't allow yourself to be poured into the form, into the uh, mold of the way people in the world think and act. Don't conform to the values and patterns of this world system. He's saying, don't let the world teach you about sex. Don't let the world teach you about gender. Don't let the world teach you about marriage. Don't let the world teach you about racism. Don't let the world teach you about justice. Don't let the divisiveness of this world infect God's church. Don't let the world set the agenda for the church. Now, you see how that's in line with what he said in chapter 4, verse 17, when he says, don't live like people who don't know God. People who live in the futility of their mind. People who are alienated from the life of God. People who give themselves to sensuality and greed and every kind of impurity. And I think most of us would say, Paul, man, man yeah, we're with you, buddy. Yeah, we're for you. We agree. We've been burned by all that. We've seen the results of all that. We paid for that in our thinking, in our, in our, in our relationships, in our marriage, in our relationships with our kids. Paul, we're with you. Yeah, Paul, I get it. Do not be conformed to this world's thinking. But the question is, how do we guard against getting sucked back in? So Paul says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. And again, we say, yeah, Paul, hey, we want to be transformed. I'm trying to be transformed. I've dedicated myself and I've rededicated myself and I've prayed for change and I'm trying to be transformed. I go to church. I'm in community group. I get up at six o'clock in the morning. I go to Bible study to learn what it means to stay on the altar. I want to stay on the altar. I've done everything I know to do, but I'm not consistent. What do you do about that? Paul gives us the answer. He says, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But you say, oh, but I thought life change came by when I rededicated my will. I thought life change by com comes from strengthening my resolve by trying harder. I thought transformation comes by praying more and promising to do better. And Paul says, nope, doesn't work. Why not? Because nobody lives different from the, what they think. Again, if, if you want to be a better new you and you pray and you make promises and you try harder, that might work for a while, short term, maybe. But if you want to live out of the person that God has already created you to be, you need a whole different approach. The kind of change that God wants to bring about in your life doesn't happen through greater willpower or determination. Here's what Paul is saying. Only a renewed mind results in a transformed life. Only a renewing mind results in a transformed life. You need to write that down. 
Now, this is what both Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, they're saying the exact same thing. I mean, look at it. Romans 12, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in Ephesians 4, verses 17 and 23, he says, don't live like people who don't know God. Don't think and act like people who don't know God, but be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Same thing. Being renewed in the spirit of your mind is the means by which life change takes place in your life. You see, just as God has made you new spiritually, he wants this ongoing renewal process of getting rid of old patterns of thinking, old humanity thinking, and replacing them with the truth that is found in Jesus, the gospel. With what Jesus says about relationships and dating and sex and marriage and kids and business and finances and justice and gender and race and every other area of our lives. That's what God wants to do. He wants to remove old ways of thinking, remove old attitudes, old perspectives, and replace them with his thoughts and his perspectives and his truth with how he sees life in this broken world. One more time. And as we see as he says, we will find ourselves doing what he says. As we see what, as he sees, we will do as he says. And the more we see ourselves as God sees us, and the more we come uh, to believe we are in fact new people in Christ, then the more natural his way of life comes. Like the rules aren't rules. It's just, this is the way the relationship is lived out. So God says, I'm not gonna send you out this morning with 10 more things to do. People all over this country, they're leaving this morning with, here's three things to do to be this, four things to do to be this, seven things to do. He says, I'm not gonna send you out with 10 things to do. I'm gonna give you, I'm not gonna give you another list of things to do. You prove you failed with that. More rules aren't gonna help you. I wanna transform your thinking about those areas of your life that trip you up. He says, I'm not, you're not gonna get there by rededicating your will. It's not, it's not gonna happen that way. It begins with the renewal of your mind. He says, I want you to see life the way I see life. I want you to see you as I see you. I want you to see other believers the way I see them. And I want you to learn to think and respond to people the way I think and respond to people. And that's what mind renewal is all about. And here's what begins to happen as our minds are renewed. And this is happening with some of you. Over time, not overnight, I wish it were overnight, but over time, it's not automatic, doesn't happen all at once. In fact, sometimes it feels like we take three steps forward and two steps back because the world's way of thinking is relentless, pulling at us and tugging at us. But over time, listen, the things that seemed ridiculous to you six months ago or a year ago, it slowly begins to make sense. As we begin to see ourselves as God sees us, as we begin to see people as God sees them, then all the commands and verses of scriptures and the things that you've heard from me and other speakers and what you uh, uh, read in a book or heard at a conference, and when you first heard it, you said, there is no way I can do that. There's no way that I wanna do that. All of a sudden, as your mind is being renewed, you're beginning to think, you know, that makes sense. It really does make sense. In fact, I wish I would've heard that three years ago, which you probably did, but, but, but here's, here's how it works. Now notice what he says in Romans 12, verse three. He says, so that you may discern 
Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may, I like the word, prove. In other words, before your mind was renewed, this was something you were not able to do. But now, as God works in you to renew your mind, now you are able to prove what the will of God is. In other words, you are able to discern in your life that God's, what God says about how life is to be lived, you're able to discern that it really is good and acceptable and perfect. It's the way to live. His way really is the way to live. That's what he's saying there. He's saying that something inside of you begins to say, yes, this is right. Yes, this does make sense. And you see the proof of it in your life. And, and here's what happened. Here's the, here's the greatest thing. Your new identity in Christ begins to express itself in a new lifestyle, in a new way of life that puts the life of Jesus on display in a dark and broken world. I don't know about you, but that's pretty awesome. I mean, isn't that a lot better than going out with 10 rules today to try, to do, try harder to do better? So the question is exactly, what are we talking about? What do you mean, Charlie, like being renewed in the spirit of your mind? What's that look like? Okay, there, I, I gotta land a plane here. Uh, you have to realize something and you have to rehearse something. Okay, stay with me. First, you have to realize that all your problems have one thing in common. Every single problem you have has one thing in common. In other words, let's say that somebody's wronged you and you know you ought to forgive that person as God has forgiven you, but you're struggling to forgive them. You know what you ought to do, but you're having a hard time doing it. Or let's say some unforeseen circumstance happens to you and your future is uncertain, your future security is at risk, and you're anxious and worried, and sometimes huge waves of fear come over you, or maybe you find yourself looking at things you know that you ought not look at, things that, that aren't spiritually and relationally healthy for you, but you are losing more battles than you're winning. Now, all these things are different, right? But they're all the same. How so? It, 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 they're all the same because you know what you need to do, but you're having a hard time doing it, right? All these things have one thing in common as well as every other thing like anger, bitterness, discontentment, pride, unbelief, not, be, not being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace with your brothers and sisters of Christ. All these things, all our sins have one thing in common, and that is you know what you ought to do, but you don't do it, or you know what you ought not to do, but you end up doing it anyway. So the first step in mind renewal is realizing that all your problems have one thing in common. And what is that one thing? We all struggle to put into practice the truth that we have learned to see in Jesus. Now, if all your problems have one thing in common, then it's also true that all your problems have one solution. Now, I, I know that sounds very simplistic, but it's the God's truth. Okay, so what's the one solution? being renewed in the spirit of your mind. So being renewed in the spirit of the mind, that's the answer to all these problems. Being renewed in the spirit of your mind is the way you put off old ways of thinking about God and life and faith and put on the new you that God has made you to be. But again, Charlie, come on, get to it. How does mind renewal work? Well, you have to mentally rehearse 
the truth that you've learned to see in Jesus. That's the second point. The second point is all your problems have one solution. You mentally, daily rehearse the truth that you've learned to see in Jesus. That's the solution. Mentally, daily, you're rehearsing the truth. That's what it means to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, about a month ago, I went through a very, very discouraging time. A couple of waves of bad news hit me, and I was worried. I struggled with having bad feelings towards somebody. I was exhausted and was having a hard time pulling my message together. And there was this intense mental, emotional, spiritual warfare going on in the battlefield of my mind. And one morning, I woke up tired, worried, angry, exhausted. And so I did something that I frequently do, and I took out my journal, and I wrote out what I would call a mind renewal prayer. Now, when my mind is cluttered like that, I can't think it out. I have to write it out. So here's what I wrote after my community Bible reading uh, for that day in the Psalms. I kind of wrote out my own psalm, and I wrote this. Yes, I will give thanks to the Lord, for you have shown yourself to be faithful to me in all the work you've called me to do. You've given me strength when I'm weary. You give me wisdom when I'm unclear. You give me the will to persevere when I'm tempted to give up. You calm my spirit when I'm fearful. You gladden my heart when I'm sad. You, you're, you are gracious and forgiving when I sin. Yes, Lord, you are gracious and merciful to me in all your ways. All my cares and concerns are known to you, and you are with me and for me in them all. I am never alone. You're always before me, behind me, beside me, below me, above me. You give your angels charge over me to protect me from the evil ones. Yes, great are the works of the Lord on my behalf. Now I tell you, when I finished that, and I, I, I wrote it, then I said it out loud a couple of times. When I finished that, the problems didn't magically go away, but they were no longer the dominating thoughts in my mind. I mean, I literally felt this, and, and the peace came over me. How did that happen? It happened because I rehearsed on paper and out loud the truth that I've learned to see in Jesus. Renewing your mind is the same idea as preaching the gospel to yourself. It's the same idea as something that Mike Hawkins reminded me the other day, something Paul Tripp likes to say, and that is you worship your way out of sin. You worship your way out of sin. I like that. You worship, the way your mind is renewed is that you worship your way out of worry. You worship your way out of discontentment. You worship your way out of unforgiveness and bitterness. You worship your way out of lust. You worship your way out of every sinful thought, disturbing thought that dominates your thought life. And again, let me just say, mind renewal is not automatic. It's not like throwing a light switch and poof, worry evaporates. No, there's no one and done mind renewal solution. That's why sandwiched between here's what God has done 
He has put away the old self and he has put on the new self. When sandwiched in between those two things is this line, present tense, and this is how it's translated literally. Be being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be being renewed. In other words, it's ongoing. It's not just reading your Bible. It's not just praying. It is meditating and reflecting and rehearsing the truth of the gospel. The truths of how thankful for you are, are for what God, who God is and what he's done. Rehearsing those things. We have a whole book in the Bible called Psalms. That's what it's all about. Having your mind renewed is our ongoing, logical, daily, moment-by-moment service of worship. It is the solution to dislodging, futile, foolish, deceitful, destructful, sinful thoughts that get stuck in your mind. And you know, a lot of us are living like, you're living the Christian life like a student in a new high school. You still think of yourself in the simple terms of, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, which is true, but you ought to be beyond that now. You think of yourself as an outsider who's trying to learn to live by the rules. And most of the time, you feel like God is that big high school senior standing next to you, yelling at you, telling you that if you step out of line, he'll pound you. Listen, that's not the Christian life. It's a cheap imitation that leads to short-term obedience and long-term frustration. And Paul is saying to you this morning, he's saying, live out the new you that God has created you to be by learning what it means to be renewed daily in the spirit of your mind. Why? Because no one lives differently than they think. You won't live differently than you think. I won't live differently than I think. That's why Paul says, since you have put off the old and put on the new, be being renewed in the spirit of your mind with the truth that you have found in Jesus. And by doing that, you will prove, you will see that what God says is good and acceptable and perfect really is good and acceptable and perfect. You'll experience it in your daily life. Heavenly Father, I thank you for not giving us 10 more things to do. We're so bad at keeping rules. Lord, some of us here may be better at it than others, but eventually we all just keep falling short. So, Father, give us the grace and wisdom to put into practice this process of daily being renewed in the spirit of our minds. And, Father, for those of us who've been believers for years and years and years, and there are maybe there are two or three areas that we really struggle with, areas that maybe nobody else even knows about, but we've tried to deal with them on our own, God, give us the grace to worship our way out of those things. And give us the courage to let who we really are in Christ be our only identity. God, teach us to see ourselves as you see us. Teach us to see others as you see them. 
And I ask these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen.